Welcome to Daily Dose of Dr. Mary and Dee. I'm Maz Mary, And I'm Dana DelVal. Whether you're a person on an addiction sobriety path, or you know someone who is, we're here to talk about our journey with it. And more importantly, we want to help end the stigma and shame of alcoholism. And we want to bring some hope and laughter along the way too. Thanks for tuning in. Morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's very rainy here today. So I hope that thunder and lightning does not uh, cast some sort of weird sound. You know, we're, we are low on sound quality. So we'll just have to hope that nature, nature plays along. I'm excited for today's conversation. Mm, me too. It's a brand new person to us. I think we told you that uh, we've hired someone to help us do some research to find new guests. And this is our first no, I guess our second leap into that world. So let's just bring John Sheldon on from Beyond Belief Sobriety and get right to the conversation. Good morning, John. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. Good to see you. It looks like you're in a super monster metropolis, but that is not your actual background. <laughs> no, this is a this is a screen that I use, but I'm I'm actually in Kansas City, Missouri, and that's New York City behind me. Yes, it is, and. Uh, <laughs> You would have quite an incredible job if that were your everyday view. <laughs> yeah, this would be great. I doubt if we would be talking to you on our <laughs> podcast if that were your actual view, John. <laughs> well, it's really great to meet you. Um, we connected just a little bit earlier, so I know a few things about you, but um, your, your journey is, is fascinating. Your podcast journey is particularly fascinating to us in light of the fact that we are you know, trying to get to that same place. So um, I'm curious to start with a conversation that we were having right before you got on. Mm -hmm. Because you're, well, let's do this. Rather than me tell you what your, <laughs> what your format and premise is, why don't you tell our audience kind of what the, the purpose of your podcast and videos are? Okay. So basically Beyond Belief Sobriety is uh, a podcast that's for people who are seeking or have found a secular path to recovery from addictions of, of all kinds. Um, I started it back in 2015. And it, at that time, we were more focused on um, uh, secular people in AA, um, which is still the largest part of my audience. Um, and then I kind of branched out over the years to look at other addictions and other programs. And so that's what we kind of focus on is just a secular path uh, to addiction recovery. Which I thought you might be mm. really fascinated in because one of my favorite things that Maz talked about when he was in treatment and going to meetings every day was, I don't like the real religious ones. Right. <laughs> no, because when, when I was in treatment, they, every day you went to a different one. Um, and there's one in the town next to us in, in Moorhead, Minnesota, that um, was incredibly religious. And I just thought, yeah, now nah, this one's not for me. But, you know, <laughs> I went to a different one. You actually find one that you actually like. So, you know, the one I actually started going to was um, it's kind of even keeled. You know? Right. Yeah. And that's what that's what you do find if it comes to any sort of a, a 12 step program, uh, really anything, any recovery, any peer support program you go to it, the it's going to your experience with it is going to be based upon the people who happen to be there that particular day mm. and the people who go there on a regular basis. So it's not just, you know, peculiar with AA, it's really with life ring or, or smart or any, any organization really. I mean, it depends upon the people who are there. So you really can't judge AA or anything really by just one meeting you go to oh, at, at one group. So it, it can definitely change for sure. 
I mean, there's at least a, a hundred a week mm -hmm. in our whole area, and all different. So they do kind and they do try and cater for absolutely everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was fascinated in one of the podcasts with with of yours that I was listening to. Um, you were talking with a friend about maybe the complexity around the fact that many AA meetings happen to be held in churches. Yeah. You know, which if you grew up Christian, you don't think anything of. It's the same criticism that people say about having election voting held in churches. Yeah. You're someone who had a bad experience in a church or you didn't grow up in a very traditional American Christian experience. That can be a difficult space to feel like you belong in, whether you're there for church or something entirely separate from it. Did you did you have that experience or have you talked with other people who find the location is a problem? Uh, for me, for me, the location wasn't so much of an issue. Uh, the time that I was beginning going to meetings in Kansas City, uh, I think because real estate here was pretty affordable. Most groups met like in storefronts or in office buildings or something like that. There were, there were groups that met in churches, but most of the groups that I went to had their own little building or house or something, wow. um, their own little clubhouse. So I didn't really have that. But the, the thing about, um, my experience with it, with AA is I, first of all, I was really young. I got there when I was 25 and I didn't know anything about it other than what I saw in the movies and in the movies, they don't show um, people holding hands and praying or talking about God or even steps, you know, and I, I didn't, wasn't expecting any of that. Um, so, you know, not having a religious background or experience with it and always feeling kind of awkward around people who talk about their, their faith openly. Um, when I first saw God all over the steps and so forth, um, I felt, I felt a little disappointed. I felt like, I felt like um, one more place I don't fit in. Um, but that changed as I started meeting people and they were, and, and especially after they started describing their experience with drinking and how they felt about it. And that made me feel more comfortable with, mm -hmm. with everything mm -hmm. at my first meeting though, they ended by, by saying the Lord's prayer, <laughs> holding hand and saying the Lord's prayer, which again was a weird thing for me because I didn't grow up ever standing around holding hands with people and praying. So it was a really different thing. I, John, I didn't either. And I, was, <laughs> no, I think most of the people in the room probably didn't either. And that's another weird thing about it. I think that I found that um, most of the people weren't particularly religious in their regular life, but AA, and it did for me too, became my religion. And you get kind of caught up in sort of the culture that has built up around it and the customs and the language. Uh, there's a real culture involved there. And, um, I think in my case too, I, I, um, I learned to, to fit in by, by adapting to what was going on around me and learning the language and saying the things that I thought people would want me to say. Um, cause you learn after a while you can, you can speak in a meeting and when the heads bob up and down like that, you're saying the right thing, you know? And so you, I kind of learned that and I did that for a long time until I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Um, so I just want to say that your friend, Frank White, says, good morning, John. Oh, hi, Frank. <laughs> hi, Frank. Thanks for watching. Um, so, John, let's let's use that moment as a chance to go back. So give us your there to hear story, wherever you want to start. You're there. What what got you to an AA meeting at 25? Okay. 
Well, um, I, uh, I guess I, I guess the best place to start is um, I, I started having a problem really young in life. I mean, I, I, I grew up in a house where there was a lot of instability. My mother was mentally ill and um, there, there was just a, it was this kind of a crazy household. I never knew you know, what to expect from one day to the next. Um, by the time I was 19, I was having a problem with alcohol and I thought that I needed help. And there was an advertisement in the, in the Lawrence Journal world that I was looking at about an AA meeting. And I didn't go because I just, I was certain that I was too old. I mean, too young, <laughs> too young. I was 19. Yeah. Um, then when I was uh, 20, right shortly after my 21st birthday, I was at home and um, my mother committed suicide. Yeah, finally. And she, and this is, you know, after many years of being with her um, mental illness, I already had a dependency upon alcohol. But shortly after her death, um, someone offered me a shot of whiskey. And I want to tell you, it was the best shot of whiskey I ever had in my life. It completely soothed me. It took every everything I was feeling away. The bad part was I needed to feel things. I needed to talk to people. But there was a huge stigma surrounding um, my mother's mental illness the entire time I grew up. And there was a huge stigma around suicide. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. Even in my own family, we wouldn't even, even though I watched her die, I, we couldn't talk about the fact of what happened. So I drank a lot and I um, ended up getting uh, DWIs. I had three of them, like in a three year period of time. And after that third one, <clears throat> I lost my job and uh, everything. And I just, I reached this point where I just realized, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be going to prison or jail. I mean, this is, this is not where, this is, this is not the life I, I imagined for myself. And I was just, I was just devastated with what, with what I had become. So I called Alcoholics Anonymous because that's the only place I knew to call. And I just said, I think I need help. And the person on the other end, Oh boy, they just, I just could hear like, I know their breathing was like, Oh my God, this guy needs help. <laughs> and, and he told me about a meeting near me and I went to that meeting and I, and it, and it really transformed my life. It saved me. Um, and from then on, um, my journey has just been one of gradual evolution and learning and growing. And it's been, it's been a pretty good experience all, all, all in all, but yeah, that's what got me here, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, congratulations. congratulations. That's a lot to overcome, John. Yeah. yeah. Wow. At such a young age, too. I mean, I trauma is trauma at any point, but when you're young, it's it's particularly difficult. What's interesting when you bring up trauma is, you know, I, I never really thought that, that much about it. And and we're talking more about it now. And yeah. the first time that I met someone, a friend of mine, uh, who was talking about trauma and Gabor Mate and so forth. I thought I just didn't understand that I had any trauma. Yeah. Can you believe that? I didn't think I had any trauma. I thought, I thought I didn't think I knew what it really was. And and now I have a much better understanding of what trauma is. And it's really on a spectrum, like everything else. You yeah. know? And I did have some trauma, it turns out. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I think I think we're conditioned to both believe that well, we, we what we grow up with is what we know. Mm -hmm. so you had a mother with mental illness until you saw somebody else's mother who didn't. <laughs> right. You think that. that's all, you know, you thought that's what mothers were. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I also think we are uh, sort of taught to rank 
our trauma. So like you think about, you know, let, let's go to a, a worst case scenario, uh, the Rwandan genocide. Okay, well, if that's trauma, then whatever I've been through is exactly, not exactly exactly been through trauma exactly or, or or I mean you know all these kinds of things, but you're right this spectrum of trauma and if that's the worst thing you've lived through that is your worst trauma yeah, it doesn't right. have to be worse than somebody else's it's it's your trauma right and that has been really helpful for me as the spouse of someone because. There was no abuse. There was, I mean, so right. many things could have been so much worse. It's easy to say, well, it wasn't that bad at our house. That's true, but it was still bad. Right. Still hard. And I've still had to work to overcome it. Right. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Here we have a comment uh, from my mother. So one mother to, to <laughs> I find your story about your mother to be a real tribute to her in a convoluted way. She and her story may help and save someone or someone else. Your telling of the story is one that would invite people to inquire for help if they are in the same spot as you. I think your mother is proud of you. I am. Uh, that's very nice. You know, it, I think that, you know, honestly, um, she, um, her, her father committed suicide. Wow. So um, I stopped that. I stopped that chain. Um, so, yeah, I, I think about that. And um, yeah, if, if she were here, I think that she, she would be that, you know, I could say, listen, you know, this isn't happening in our family anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. What an amazing thing to just, <laughs> at least not this generation anyway. <laughs> um, and that's all you can control. That's all I can, right. Okay. So, so you have this podcast and you're talking to all of these interesting people we don't really talk to other people very often who do what we're doing. So mm -hmm. what has been the, what have been the values to you, valuable aspects of doing this work, having these conversations, because you've been doing it a lot longer than we have. It's been incredible. Um, I don't, I don't know if I, I don't, you know, I don't know if, if I would be the person I am today, if it were not for the experience I had with this podcast um, and doing the things that I'm doing today. Um, it, it, it's all been it's all been part of my recovery. It's the biggest part of my recovery, actually. Now, uh, in fact, the the podcast started as a result of um, of me trying to understand my recovery as an atheist, okay, yeah. and connecting with other people online about that. And then there was a person who had this huge website that was geared towards agnostics and atheists and AA, and he was going to retire. And he suggested I um, do something to replace it. And that's when I started the podcast. So when I started this podcast, um, all the episodes were really me trying to understand my recovery in a secular way by listening to and talking to other people who were doing the same thing. So I had this real connection with people and it was, it was, um, it was incredible for me to be able to speak with somebody overseas who had the same experiences as me, the same thoughts as me. Um, but then again, I was able to meet people with um, different views that might've challenged mine that I hadn't thought about before that I was all, all maybe even afraid of, you know, even considering, you know, that um, helped me grow too. Um, but I, I started, uh, I was really fortunate that the podcast had a ready-made audience for me from this, from this guy who had the website, he gave yeah. me all of his people. And so I had a ready-made audience. So I always had people that were listening 
And I always had people that would um, write to me about an episode or something. So I've always had a, an audience and a connection with them. And that has really, that has been, been a big, huge, huge benefit. But um, yeah, being able to speak with people from around the world. And then I got to um, interview authors mm. and that, that was, um, that was, that's still a big thrill for me. In fact, I got a couple of books I need to read now. So it forces me to read mm-hmm. and I, I, I read a really good book. Um, and then I get to speak with the person who wrote it and they love that. They love to speak with someone who's actually read their book. Mm-hmm. And, and I have a ready-made format and it's, and it's fun for me because I'll read a book and I think, well, oh, I'm going to talk to this guy. I'm going to ask him about this, you know? Yep. So that experience has helped me. And then speaking with doctors about, um, you know, addiction and the science behind it. Um, but then eventually what happened is speaking to all these different people from different walks of life and even from, from different addictions and different programs, I started getting interested in recovery um, at large, um, re- not just, you know, a 12-step recovery or recovery from alcohol, but recovery at large from, in a, in a secular way, from all kinds of different aspects. And I, so I started thinking in terms of that and started um, doing things outside of the podcast. Like I, um, I got, I took a course to uh, become certified as a peer specialist in Missouri. Mm -hmm. And that was really good for me because it put me in touch with people from around my state who are actually working with people in addiction and um, letting, and I'm learning about what's going on in my state and what's, what I like about it so much is that what I've learned from that is that the, the people that are helping others are trying to meet other people where they are. Nobody's trying to bring them to where they are. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I think recovery should be. And that's what I try to convey in my podcast is um, recovery isn't an ideology. It's an experience. And, um, Anytime that I'm talking about my recovery, it's just how I understand it at that given time yeah. and, and how I'm communicating it. And sometimes I do it better than other times. But um, there does seem to be like in the recovery community that certain silos like the rest of society where it says, you know, I do this and this is the way I think it should be done. That's And that's great. Um, but I, I, I like to um, kind of break those silos down a little bit and... Um, appreciate where where other people are coming from i guess sure yeah that's really interesting i want to put up a note from frank camaraderie amongst listeners is really strong great sense of community that's that's lovely that's great praise for you john i started doing something this year that um, i'd met other podcasters who built a community around their podcasts and i wanted to do the same i went through this kind of a weird period where i was um kind of getting burned out on um AA, quite frankly. <laughs> and so I mean, I've been doing it for 30 freaking four years. Um, so I, I kind of, I stopped going to the meetings and COVID was going on and everything. And, but I still needed some sort of a, a recovery community. So I decided to do what these other podcasters have done and build a community around my podcast. So what I've done is we have like a weekly meeting. It's a recovery meeting. We don't record it. We don't post it anywhere. It's not a podcast. It's a recovery meeting for people who listen to the podcast. We all get together and I invite a guest from a previous episode. And that guest speaks for about 30 minutes. And then we go around the room and we share. And it's a wonderful meeting. We usually have about 20 people or so there. Wow. And then I also make a, a, my calendar available for listeners so they can schedule time with me just for one-on-one conversations. And I have, I've had several of, of those. So 
that and then the live stream that we do on Saturday. So those things together kind of have given me um, my own little recovery program. <laughs> my own. <laughs> so yeah. say what you've said so often about daily dose. Yeah, when this um, we started doing this, and then of course the pandemic hit. Yeah, my um, AA group went onto Zoom, which for a couple of weeks was different and okay, but um, it started getting a little repetitive for me because one of the things I liked about my AA group because it was at a treatment center, so every two weeks you met different people. Um, but doing daily dose every day. Um, and then just talking about it myself was for me like a new AA meeting. Mm. And just to talk to, to what, you know, even if it was like one, we, we always had guests on, on a Thursday. So once a week we'd talk to someone new and then listen to them. And then I'd say something, it was kind of like an AA meeting. So that kind of really, really helped me, um, in that short time. And I like to think I've, uh, you know, helped at least a, a couple of people with some pearls of wisdom, but which you, you always hope to do in an AA meeting. So right. this became during COVID for me an AA meeting. Same. Uh, the Zoom meetings, I, I had the same experience. I, they were okay in the beginning, but for me, it's like, okay, so I'm working from home now too, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm all my interactions are with people on Zoom. They're all, all these video meetings. And the last thing I want to do at the end of the, of a hard day of work, being on zoom all freaking day long <laughs> turn on another meet and so these AA meetings they, they on zoom they just seemed like i was at work again i mean i was in the same same desk so i just needed some sort of a break i guess yeah and that covid was a big game changer for people in recovery yeah, uh, there were both good and bad about Absolutely. that i can yeah. honestly say though i'm glad i wasn't at the start of a recovery journey when oh COVID. my gosh or still a as an alcoholic suffering, I, uh... well, you'd be dead because <laughs> yeah. the whole thing was he only drank at home. Yeah. So that makes it hard if you're always at home. So, um, Tugba, <laughs> good morning. Thanks for watching. I just wanted to put her up. Freelance works are pretty hard. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh yes. Frank knows this person. Fabulous. They, way to bring your community along, John. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I, I just want to go back to that point because um, I knew nothing about AA except what you knew. I, I knew about alcoholism from the movies. Right. So I had a very square, narrow view of what alcoholism was, which is why I think we struggled for so long to kind of even identify what was going on with Maz. And then once we figured that piece out, then I, I kind of had a really, really minimal sense of what AA was, but I've never been to a meeting. He doesn't go to open meetings, so I had never been to one. So I, I had, and, and sometimes continue to have this sort of envy at that community mm -hmm. because it is an incredible thing. When I hear Maz talk about yeah. the best of AA or other people come on and they talk about why it's been so powerful for them. It, it is something that I no longer have in my life, but this for me has been so illuminating. I've learned so much, not just about Maz's addiction and our continued journey with it, but all the ways that other people come to addiction, come out of addiction, struggle through it, work with it, 
navigate it. It's been extraordinary to be in conversation in this really meaningful way. So uh, we would never have done this. No. If if you had just been going to AA meetings, there wouldn't have really been a reason to. Right. So I I am really grateful for COVID doing that disruption to his routine because it it started this whole journey for us, which has been amazing. Yeah. Um, it, I tell you what, it, it's also been a really helpful to um, the secular AA community. So there's a lot of um, agnostic and atheist AA groups. The nice thing about AA is that um, every AA group is free to do its own thing. They're all, they're all autonomous. So there's a lot of these secular groups, for, and they've been in existence since 1975. A lot of people didn't know about this, though. Since COVID and when all these groups went online, more and more people who were turned off and th these people exist that were turned off by the God verbiage and the, and not even that, just the old language from an old book being read. And mean, people who were turned off by that were finding these secular meetings. And so the numbers of people that were experiencing AA in a completely secular way without all the talk and so forth and praying and so forth has, has really increased a lot. And it's going to be very interesting to see what happens that when we, if these people, and a lot of these people are new, you know, have only experienced AA online, but yeah. it'll be interesting to see if this carries over into the greater AA world and if, and if, and what kind of influence it might have. And maybe it's just because I, I happen to be in that world. I think it's grown so much, but man, there's a lot of, a lot of zoom meetings for secular people right now. Um, and that like we've never had before. And that's because of zoom. I mean, because of COVID. Because of COVID. Yeah, we've got um, the my Friday night group that I go to. Um, we we have some people who are agnostic. We have some people who just aren't Christian. Full stop. Um, we got some Native Americans that come, and they said, "No, I, I don't want this," but they don't like the religious part of it. But when each time the AA meeting starts, it, it, I don't know if it was an official adaptation, but everyone now says. You know, you you welcome a higher power, comma, however you see it. Interesting, yeah. Um, and I want to. I've got to share this great story with you. Um, Dane has heard this about a hundred times, but I, right. I've said it a few times myself. One of my best moments at AA. I, there was a kid. He must have been in his twenties. I mean, I got sober when I was forty-seven, so to me, everyone's a kid. <laughs> um, he told this story about when he first met his his first sponsor, and he was struggling with. The religious aspects of him and his sponsor said to him sit down so this he said and the kids said well i sat down and the sponsor said your higher power right now and your your trust in a faith is that chair and his kids said, what the, what are you talking about i said well i told you to sit down you sat down did you did you check the structural integrity of the chair and he went well i didn't know he said well right now that's your faith the chair and I just thought that story was brilliant. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he went on. And I've always said this myself. When someone says the word faith, you make you can make a mistake of immediately think someone's talking about a religion. It's, right. It could be faith in yourself. It could be faith in the person standing next to you. And that's, right. I mean, that's what you need, I think, anyway, to get through AA. Faith in something. And, it, you know, if, if it's nice, if it's yourself. Yeah. 
just the, uh, yeah and the people in the room and and I I was told that in the beginning as well and that, that has always been the case for me and 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 thank goodness for that person that would allow that 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 person that young man to find his own way and 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 experience it in his own way um that's that's so important you know to let people give people that um so um you know, I've, I've, I've experienced that and I've also experienced the other, you know, <laughs> I've, uh, you know, I've had people tell me, um, that I, um, that, that my view or my way of understanding my recovery was not right. I've had people tell me that, uh, the things that I had said in meetings could hurt other people if I talk that way. Um, so, th- but those people are a minority, but the problem is, there are also some of the loudest voices and wow. they're also the ones who are more likely to pull you aside in the corner and tell you what they think you should do. Mm. Whereas the people like the gentleman that, that um, Mary's talking about um, are more, are more likely to, you know, wait for the person to, to come to them. They're not, they're not going to reach out and try to control that person. Yeah. So you have to really watch out for the, for the minority, the small number of people out there, that um want to tell kind of if someone if someone tells you they know what you need to do watch out for that person mm. <laughs> yeah that's pretty good advice just for life that is yes, it really is it really is advice for life yeah right? i mean if you look at the promises only one of them is about not drinking right right <laughs> the other 11 are generally yeah that's a good idea <laughs> But you see, you come into recovery, you're in a pretty vulnerable place. And a lot of, a lot of people that are new, and I was one of these, I just wanted someone to tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I, I'll, I'll, and, I, and I'll be okay. The problem is that um, there are a lot of people to be happy to tell you what to do, but that's not really the way recovery works. The way it w- works is what do you want your recovery to look like? What do you want your life to work like? You know, how would you describe these things? How do you describe your experience? How do you understand it? You know? And it's, it's a little bit more challenging and difficult to do that. It's much more easy to say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. But anyway, just, just some of my thoughts on that. But I, I have met a lot of people that do like some structure, and there's nothing wrong with that. Give them some structure, but give them the freedom to interpret that how, how, they, see, how they see it. Yeah, I, I mean, again, this whole conversation happens to be about the recovery community, a, a traditional recovery community. But if if somebody just jumped in five minutes ago, this is just a good conversation for life. If somebody says to you when you're 18 years old, listen, you have to get a four-year degree, you have to do this, right. married, you have to, well, in maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe, and maybe not. And, and yeah. maybe you need to figure out your own path because it's your path. And just because a path worked for somebody else doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And that doesn't dismiss that it worked for them. Yeah. It's not an all or nothing thing. And we are so quick to want to make complex issues black and white. Right. Recovery, like all of the great challenges and successes of life, is not a black and white issue. It exists no, you know what's so funny too? I read something the other day. I can't remember where I read it, but the person said, "Aren't we all in recovery? Isn't this just re- life recovery? Being alive, being in recovery." I mean, and and even when we were talking about trauma earlier, 
everybody has experienced trauma, even yeah. if it, you know, I think Gabor Mate, they were describing trauma could just be that your parents not coming to you quick enough when you're crying as a baby. Absolutely. Things like that. So we all have experienced trauma. We, we all have things that we're dealing with in life. So in a way that we all, and if you think about recovery as a process of change and growing and trying to be the best that you can be, the best life that you can live, which yeah. I think of, of recovery being being healthy and well. And I mean, that's what we do in life. So we're kind of fortunate, the people, those of us who have had addiction issues to have this ready-made community that help us with that. That's what I mean. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're fortunate in that sense. Find the community. Yeah, that's not the word. Yeah, but... <laughs> Actually got called out on our own show by someone who was spot on. I, they, um, I think it was a, I think it was a she. Actually, let me go with this. She, she pointed out to me. I actually said like, my rock bottom, oh, was wasn't as bad as other people's. And she went, oh no no, you <laughs> rock bottom. Doesn't matter how deep it is. That was your rock bottom. And yeah. you know, to me, that goes back to what you said about different traumas and levels of trauma. Yeah. Right. You don't fall a set distance to need to reevaluate and stand up again. Yeah. And it's really refreshing now to see that um, there's a whole new generation of people that are just sober curious, that aren't waiting for things to get really terrible, that they understand that um, just drinking by itself is maybe not a healthy way to live for them. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm optimistic about that. You know, it feels, it feels good that, you know, maybe um, there won't be such a stigma to addiction or drinking just be normalized as something that we have to do in society. Absolutely. I think um, not unlike, as you just said, suicide and mental health and all of those things, we're talking about them now because younger generations have just said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to live with this as if it's shameful I, and I have often said, if Maz had gotten diagnosed with terminal cancer, I would have put that on Facebook. People would have said, let's set up a meal chain. Let's go do her laundry. Let's make sure yeah. that we're taking care of all these pieces. And instead, he got diagnosed with alcoholism and I shut everything down and nobody knew. And I suffered through it largely by myself, as did he, because I felt this unbelievable weight of shame yeah well that's i mean that's the wrong approach it's the wrong approach to take i remember calling um hr where he works and saying is he going to lose his job and them saying to me well no because the union classifies it as a disease yeah and that was the first time i had ever ever heard it said like that and I, and i would never have called hr and asked if he was going to lose his job. <laughs> Cancer, yeah. never. Yeah. No. And cancer can be as debilitating and cancer can kill you. Exactly yeah. like addiction. Yeah. So we just have to keep pushing our definition of what it means to struggle with addiction. Right. Too. Yeah. And I'm in a really fortunate place in my life right now where I can be open and about it, you know, publicly. Um, yeah. And I think that those of us who are in that position, you know, it's, it's, it's a great service to be able to do that. It helps. It does help break down the stigma quite a bit. 
there are other areas of my life. I, I really need to, I really need to do that. You know, I'm, I'm not so open about my um, addiction at work, but if somebody were to find out about it, I'd be fine, but yeah. I could probably do more um, outreach just, just in the, the workforce <laughs> just let them know, you know, listen, you know, guys, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there is a recovery community out there. So, you know, Absolutely. just to inform them. But anyway, yeah, uh, it's, it's nice to be at when I was first starting out, you know, I really needed that. Um, I really need that privacy. I really need to be protected. I didn't, I, I was afraid of, um, you know, what people might think or would they hire me? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, you know, um, it's, it's not unlike sort of the, the fear before it became illegal of telling someone you were pregnant. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there are just some things that are life events that we're getting better at managing as life events as yeah. opposed to, well, now you go into this other category and it's, the category is only bad. Yeah. You I know? do think there's a generational difference now too. That's, that's helping. And, and, and you mentioned social media and I think that's part, I think that's part of it is that, you know, uh, people who have grown up with this and, and they have always known this, it's just second nature for them just to be this. Hey, I'm posting on Facebook. I'm going to my first AA meeting, you know, and it's like you know, a lot of people out there, they don't have that same um, feeling that I had about it. You know, um, it's just, it's a little different. I think it's, I think it's a bit of a generational thing. I, I can't generalize too much because a lot of younger people that want to, that don't want everyone to know, but there's a lot the people out there that are a lot more open about it than, than I think have been in the past. Well, we're just living our lives out loud in a we very are. way than we ever have in the past. And so there's good and bad to that as well. I mean, there's yin and yang to all of these pieces yeah. because ultimately there is there is not one right and one wrong for anything. That's what makes being alive so complex. Yeah, sure. Indeed. Well, John, this has been so it has been fascinating. Oh, I've enjoyed this. Have your audience join us. So it's thanks really for that. It's interesting to meet you and listen to um, what you, your thoughts on this. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I, I've enjoyed every minute of this. It's just been a pleasure uh, to be on this side of the microphone. So thank you for having me. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. Have an excellent Have a day. Great day. Everybody, we'll see you on Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to Daily Dose of Dr. Mary and DD. If you enjoyed the content and want to learn more, head over to Facebook to Daily Dose Dr. Mary DD. You can find us on YouTube under Dana DelVal. And if you want to get signed up for our weekly newsletter, email me at D-A-Y-N-A at D-A-Y-N-A-D-E-L-V-A-L dot com. Have a great day. We hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.